What's up? And welcome to the Very Best Self Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Brown. Tune in each week as I have candid conversations with inspiring humans, including athletes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and anyone out there making waves. Get ready to leave your comfort zone behind, step into your power, and live a more purpose-driven life. I am so happy that you're here. Now let's do this. All right, you guys, welcome back. It's Victoria Brown to the Very Best Self Podcast. And so today's guest is Dr. John Deloney. And so, you know, in in true fashion, this episode is going to be another one and another one, like DJ call it, LOL, uh, <laughs> episode to help you connect with your very best self. So Dr. John Deloney is a really, really impressive guy. He's a best-selling author, mental health expert, the host of the John Deloney show. He has two PhDs, over two decades of experience in counseling, crisis response, and higher education. And John's goal is to help you navigate tough decisions, improve your relationships, and believe that you are worthy of being well. So today's episode is going to be all about connecting with other human beings. It's about how to make friends. It's about how to find a successful relationship, if that's something that you're looking for in your life. Um, How to make friends as an an adult specifically, because that's a difficult task to do. Um, Something I know I personally struggled with uh, in my adult life. Uh, And then what else do we we talk about? We talk about just connecting in relationships, how to show up, um, the loneliness, the epidemic of loneliness that a lot of us feel from time to time um, and just making meaningful connections and diving into relationships. And that's really kind of like the, I'm, oh my gosh, am I really going to say this, but the meat and potatoes, LOL, of this, of this episode it is. Um, And so it's a great one, you know, our relationships and connecting with people, it's the number one most important thing that we do, obviously, and uh, how we, it impacts how we move through this life and the level of happiness that we feel and the level, level of joy that we that we feel and so I think it's an important an important episode for those reasons I also dive into my own personal experiences on creating and finding friendships as an adult and also my personal experiences of you know finding a uh, meaningful relationship romantically. So we're going to get into all of it today. And Dr. John Deloney, he's got great insight. Uh, Obviously, he's a very smart guy. So uh, yeah, and he's got a very kind of like casual way to, to, to dive into all of these kind of very specific topics, um, which I, I personally really, really uh, enjoy. So let's get into it. Here we go. Welcome back, you guys. We are here, Very Best Self Podcast. Uh, I'm your girl. It's your girl, Victoria Brown. And I have Dr. John Deloney on the podcast today. Yes, you guys, uh, we are going to talk about some, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, um, but he is kind of like an expert um, in the field of how we form meaningful connections with real human beings, not just virtually. Um, John is a guy who's like self-proclaimed not lover of technology, which I think we can all use a dose of taking a break from from tech. Um, it's just so ingrained in, in all of our lives, but uh, you're, he is well-versed in anxiety and practices that help people overcome their anxiety. Etc. 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 John, Doctor John Deloney. What's up? Happy to have you on, <laughs> dude. Thank you for being so hospitable. You're awesome. 
Yes, I'm so, so pumped to talk to you today to chat with you. I also have a copy of your brand new book sitting right in front of me, Own Your Past, Change Your Future, which that's a hell of a title right there. Like, I'm like, exactly. hell yeah, sign me up for that. <laughs> like, okay. Exactly. <laughs> You know, so let's talk. I want to kind of dive into it's so crazy because, you know, I've been on this journey of, of doing this podcast now. And I think, you know, you would be almost like, wow, when this podcast comes out, actually, it might almost be one year of me podcasting. Congratulations. Oh God, that. Yeah, what, got you, what got you started? Why did you want to do this? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I love when someone asks me a question. Wow. That's so crazy. <laughs> I love that. love that about you. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, yeah, no, I got started because I fell in love with, uh, you know, kind of what I do in my soul cycle classes. Right. So like, you know, it's like, I give like almost like a 45 minute motivational talk, you know, eight to 10 times a week, every time I teach a class. And so that for me, like a lot of people will think like, oh, I teach fitness. Like it's never been about that for me. It's always been about kind of connecting with people and helping them find, you know, better versions of who they already are. Mm. And so when the pandemic hit, I was like, the, the number one question I asked myself is, okay, like, you know, I've always been who I am and I never, ever thought that, you know, teaching a class on a stationary bike was going to be my vessel in which I live in my purpose and do the things that bring me joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. I never thought that that was going to be my vessel and it ended up being right. But when the pandemic happened, I was like, okay, cool. If the bike was gone forever and I never returned to that, because let's say I couldn't, what would I do instead? What could I extract from what I did in that room that I loved so much? And how could I do that in a different modality? And so you know, that was where I created my life coaching program, uh, during the pandemic. And I've always wanted to do a podcast. And so it was finally like, where I was like, okay, like we're doing this, it's happening. Cool. And so I just want to reach people and, and, uh, you know, help them find their, their very best selves. Cause it's tucked away within all of us, you know, that's good. Very cool, man. Very yeah. Cool. cool stuff. Um, so that's why I started it. I feel like I had another question I was going to ask you and then I got sidetracked. Oh my well, gosh. I'll tell you, congrats. You've been at a year. Uh, most of us spend about 30 minutes on our new ventures. Then we quit. So in podcasting, yes. like it's hard. It, it's a grind and doing it every day and talking to goofballs like me about our, whatever we think is so important. Right. So good for you for keep showing up for a year. That's incredible. Yes. So that's what I was getting at is I think this episode is going to come out right around, uh, my one year mark of, of doing the pod. Um, so you are an expert in connecting. Hmm. How do we connect with human beings out in the real world? And <laughs> that is a multi-layered question. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, specifically let's go into, I think one thing that you're, you're an expert on is how to make friends as an adult. And I find that super fascinating because it's really, really difficult. Yeah. So what are your tips and tricks around that? Well, I think before anytime I like you know, give tips or tricks, I always want to provide a context for, um, I think we, we've gotten really obsessed with hacks with, and hacks don't work if you don't have a ecosystem with which you're trying to survive in. Right. So I want to back out and say, like, just give context. Friendship is something you practice. It's a skill set. And when you're kids, they dump you in a box and they say, y'all do life together when you're in kindergarten, right? And you don't really have an option not to. And of course, there's always people on the margins that get, you know, that, that people won't play with them, et cetera. So I'm, I'm speaking to the, the middle of the bell curve here. But for most of us, we just had to go kick a soccer ball with those kids or our neighbors were the kids next to us. And we just played video games or ran up and down the street and played Nerf football, whatever the thing was. 
And then you got to middle school and high school, they dump you into teams or into the, you know, the math club or the student council, whatever the thing is, you are a skater or a kicker or a, um, you listen to metal, you're a punk rock kid, or you're a poser like I was. I so bet wanted to be like a hardcore metal kid, but I was like, dork. <laughs> um, like that's my latent dream is to be a, like a metal singer, but clearly I look like an idiot. I, like it's not happening, but like that you, you, you know, or the hip hop kid, like, and so you sit at the lunchroom with your gang and then you go to college and you have your major and you, and then all of a sudden you get dumped into the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, this doesn't happen for everybody. For most of us, we get dumped into the world and say, go quote unquote, follow your whatever. What are you going to do? And suddenly this very group oriented world we've grown up in, we get shot out in a cannon, which is now you're on your own. You do your life by yourself. You find your passions, get your job with your title. And everything's about me, me, me. And if you look at that neurologically, that's not how we are wired to survive. It's not how we are wired to live. And so we have these super anxious brains screaming at us to reconnect with other people. And then over the last 20 years, they handed these little fancy digital boxes to us and said, this, my friends, will solve all your connection issues. And it, um, there's, I, I don't, I've never seen the studies, and so I'm just, I'm just um, repeating something because it helps my argument here. But 70 to 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? Um, you and I are talking to each other uh, 2,000 miles away from each other, but I could see you. You're nodding. You're smiling. You know what I mean? You're not like burying your heads in, in shame. There's some sort of uh, connection we have here that's different than just the words I'm giving you, right? But when you text, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you to your spouse or to someone you love, and they don't hear you say it, they don't see you say it, you're giving them info, but you're not connecting with them. Right. And so then we find ourselves at age 30 or age 40 and are we're completely frazzled out. And so then we have to say, all right, what do we do now? And the first thing we do now is go to apps and there's no swipe right for like, hey, I'm 42 year old guy. I don't really like beer, but uh, you want to come over and not talk. I mean, there's no app for that. Right. So then we join classes. We try to we just stumble through life. And so for me, the, the number one thing is to take a risk, be highly intentional about understanding that if I don't have real people in my real life and I'm taking a dig at meta and I'm taking a dig at all the, you know, zoom stuff. If I don't have a real, real people in my real life, I will die shorter. I will live less. I will live a shorter life. And the life I have will be miserable made up of what they're calling diseases of despair, right? Organ disease failures, uh, like heart disease and liver disease and addiction. And I'm more likely to take my own life. There's a cascade of our things our body does to us if we're isolated. So take a risk, ask people to your house, go first, be hospitable, put yourself in a situation, like take a class, like a, like a cycling class where someone's going to push you and you're going to have shared experiences with people. Put yourself out there knowing that if I don't, there's consequences to pay. Yeah. I mean, that's, it, it gets harder as we get older too, I think, because we have so much to do all of the time. And, you know, I, I kind of speak from my, from experience um, that what you're saying does work. I have lived, I, w- I lived um, in LA for a while. I lived in Washington, DC for a while. And then I moved to New York City just about six months before the pandemic. So then we Congratulations. went <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we went through like, you know, this entire pandemic and then we're kind of emerging to this place, you know, like a year ago or however long ago it was now, but uh, where we could actually, you know, go to brunches and go to dinners and like do things again, like, you know, somewhat normal human beings. 
And so, you know, once the pandemic was not over, once we could do things, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Like I only got here six months before the pandemic. I don't even have any friends. I have no friends here. (coughs) So I was like, all right, I got to figure this out. And what I started doing was going on friend dates and that was scary and it was freaking weird. It's so weird, right? It's so weird. It was time consuming because I'm like, you know, I have a boyfriend. I have other work to do. I have like, I, you know, I spend time with him. I spend time with working. I spend all this time. And I'm like, I actually don't really want to go to brunch with another chick right now. And then it ended up being like a waste of my time. And then brunch is expensive. And then I, you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I just really didn't want to do it. I just didn't, but I did it anyways. Good for you. And so there are girls that I went to brunch with who like, you know, it kind of fizzled out into really nothing. And, you know, I didn't like, you know, it's really like dating. It it really is. Like I didn't hit it off and I was like with her and I was just like, okay, like I don't think I need to pursue this friendship. Um, And then I have like another friend who like we hang out all the time now. And then her, she brought her friends to the equation and I brought, you know, some of my friends to the equation. And now we have like a giant group of girlfriends and we go to dinners all the time and hang out all the time. Um, And so you have to put yourself out there. You have to, you got to risk it for the biscuit. (laughs) You know, you got, you got to risk it. You got to put yourself out there and you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and uncomfortable, you know, positions, uh, in order to make friends. And I do think like, you know, you mentioned fitness classes, you know, I've seen it happen at my soul cycle classes. I think the greatest thing is like, find an instructor that you love and then consistently go to the same exact time slots all of the time. And then when you start to recognize people or you have a bike next to somebody or a yoga mat next to somebody, like introduce yourself and it's weird and it's scary. Learn that person's name. And then the next time you go, be like, oh, hey, so-and-so, how are you today? Like, whatever, say hi. And just just repeating someone's name back to them after you meet them, let's say like a week later, whatever it is, if you remember their name, like they're already gonna feel like comfortable and they're gonna be like, oh, like that's so nice. You remember my name or he remember my name, like whatever. Um, I don't know. I think that it worked for me in terms of absolutely. Girlfriends. And I would tell you in my life, a big chunk of my busyness was what I mean, might as well have been Coke. It might as well have been meth. It was an addiction that I was chasing. I was trying to outrun my anxiousness or depression, whatever. I was trying to outperform or outachieve or outrun, um, that hollowness, right? That I'm not enough or you'll never be enough or whatever demons have been chasing me since I was a little kid. I was trying to outrun that stuff. And the the meta message here is, man, if you'll stop running and just go have brunch with people, you fill up from the inside out. It doesn't work mm-hmm. that other way, right? You can never outrun loneliness. You can never outachieve anxiety or outachieve that feeling that you're not enough you can connect with people. And it sounds so woo. I know how lame I sound right now. I get it. Um, and I can think of no greater hell than, uh, I mean, I can think of a few things, but I, mostly than calling somebody and be like, uh, uh, hey, hey, dude, um, you want to go eat? Like, I, I, that sounds miserable. And then meeting some guy and be like, it's like, sup? Like that, I can't, it just sounds awful. And at the same time, I know the alternative is, that I'm going to continue band-aiding over that neurological need, that physiological need for other human beings with all kinds of things. They're going to kill me, man. It's just true. So, dude, that's a brave, bold thing you did. Good for you, man. That's way (laughs) harder than running a marathon, meeting (laughs) random strangers for brunch. That's brutal. So good for you. Well, there were, I mean, they were like, 
you know, I somewhat acquaintances, you know, are like, yeah, very, that's even weirder. Used. I guess actually that goes one sideways, of them was I just randomly met her at a party. Good for you. So that was scary. That's gangster, dude. Good for you. Good <laughs> it for is you. scary. Thank you. Um, so that's 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 the the thick of it uh, in terms of making friends. It's not easy. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to be able to risk it. It's going to be uncomfortable, and that's just the way it is. Like lean into your hobbies, lean into what's uncomfortable. Ask someone that you are loosely acquainted with to get brunch with you. Um, you've got a new favorite restaurant. You want to check it out. Wondering if that person wants to come with you. And also, I think you know what? There's a lot of power in just being open and upfront about it. I had the one girl that I did go on brunch, go to brunch with that we ended up being great friends. We actually had a discussion at the brunch about how difficult it was to make friends. Yes. And I was like, and so I'm, I told her I'm going on friend dates. I told her what I was doing and she was like, yeah, me too, actually. Um, <laughs> so that worked out, you know, but like, you know, I was very upfront and very honest about it. Like that. I, you know, I think people also, it's not that you're not a charity case, but like people were right. like more, I think apt to say like, Oh, okay. Like this is a person who's like really nice, kind, whatever. And they're just looking for friends. Like, so yeah, maybe I, the next time I do something, I can invite this person. You know, we, we, I had a moment and talk about it in the book. I had a moment, invited a couple over to my, our house. Me and my wife did. We moved from Texas to Nashville. We had no friends here. We had some acquaintance there, some people that we knew, you know, from back home. But we invited a couple over, man. Talk about awkward. Um, and I, I, I have to admit, I, did, I didn't think this through all the way the way I asked the question. But um, so imagine you and your boyfriend at our house and sitting at our kitchen table. And I start the conversation this way. Um, hey, um, my wife and I want to ask you something super awkward and super weird. Um, uh, and it's going to make the room kind of weird, but I, I, I just, I feel like that's where we're at. You know what I mean? So you can imagine where this was going. And I said, I was like, Hey, we want to ask y'all to be our friends. And <laughs> it, it was super awkward, but here's what happened. This is something I'll never forget. And the room kind of got quiet. And I said, here's what that means. That means at 2 AM, you got to go to the hospital. I'll show up to your house to make sure your kids are all right. Um, I want you to know my kids. And if one of my kids like gets the part in a play as the kid in the background, right? I'm gonna let you know. You don't have to come, but it'd be awesome if I want my kids to have other adults that they look to, right? Mm -hmm. If you need something at 3 a.m., you need me to pick you up, take you to the airport, I'm gonna whine and complain about it, but I'll be there, right? Um, and the person who I invited, uh, he's a veteran and hardcore dude, smart guy. And I one tier and then another tier and I was like, dude, are you all right? Like I know I made this weird and he said this and it stuck with me. He said, man, no one has ever asked me that question before. And I thought, man, of all the life experience this guy has, he's brilliant, he's been all over the world, done all kinds of things. No one had ever just said, hey, I need you to hear me say I'm with you. I'm same team, same gang. Um, if things go down, I'll be by your side. And as a species, we need that, right? As as humans, we've got to have that. We just don't, man. So if it starts like, hey, let's all go shooting. Let's all go fishing. Let's all go have dinner. Let's all go to brunch. Go grab a drink. I don't care where it starts. But, man, we've got to be intentional about taking that risk. I love that. I love that. Um, man, that almost made me cry a little bit. <laughs> I like that a lot. All right. So let's uh, shift gears into relationships. Uh, I'm curious. So I have a quick story. Uh, I, my grandparents were married for 50 years. Um, and so I want, I asked my grandpa one time, I said, grandpa, I was like, and I actually have this on camera. I asked him, um, 
before he passed. And so I said, Grandpa, like you and Grandma have been together for 50 years. 50 years you guys have been together. I said, what is the secret? What is the secret, the secret to having a happy, successful marriage? And so I want to ask you that question, but I'm going to tell you first. Uh, so think of your answer, but I want to tell you first what, what his answer was. And so my grandpa's answer is you have to have the same values. He sat there for a second and he kind of got quiet and he thought about it and he thought about it. And he said, you have to have the same values. And it really did stick with me because I thought, okay, it's not be good to each other because yes, you should be good to each other. It's not make each other laugh. You should do that as well. There's a lot of things that we should do, but the fundamental thing, and I, and I do agree with him, is, is do you share the same values? So if you're going to raise kids together and you're going to move through the world together and you're going to go to a dinner party and you're going to leave the dinner party and talk shit about the people that are there, are you going to have the same ideas and the same thoughts or, you know, you know what I mean? Like things that naturally like couples just do. Um, you know, when you go to, you know, parent teacher conferences, are you going to be a united front in how you see what's going on in front of you? Do you, do you view money the same? Do you view um, success the same? And all of that fundamentally comes down to your values. And I think to me, I translate your values into, you know, way, a way, the ways in which you were raised. Um, and yeah, so- I, what I, I 1000% agree with your granddad, wise, wise man. What I would add to that is there is a stark difference between values and beliefs. Mm. I want my beliefs to change all the time. That's why I read a new book. That's why I listen to a new podcast. That's why I take a new, uh, like a cycling class instead of my MMA class. That's why I go whatever. I want to be learning new things and changing what I believe all the time. And mm-hmm. as a nerd in higher ed, as a researcher and a professor, like that's what I did. You, you read and you do studies so you can get new stuff. You can learn new things. The, so it, it might be that my wife and I go to um, a, a parent-teacher conference together, and we have different beliefs about what that teacher just said. Mm-hmm. She said this, I believe she's crazy. My wife said, I believe she's right on. We have different beliefs, but the core value is that we are going to honor that teacher, and we're going to partner with the teacher with our child. Mm-hmm. If we have different values, which is my child is always right, and nobody will talk about my kid, and I my value is my child is going to be somebody who respects and treats everybody with dignity, even if they're asking them to do stupid worksheets, then now we're going to have a problem, right? Now we're going to have a values issue. But our beliefs, man, like, I, I hope my beliefs are different than hers. I already know what I believe. I want to be around people who's got different beliefs than me, even, even my wife. It's, you're exactly right. It's going to come down to those values. And yeah. here, I, I think where we've gotten sideways, if I were to reverse engineer your grandparents, um, that generation of, of people and, and all the way to the history of time before them, marriage was generally one of two things. It was for wealthy people to expand their kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. And to join or join politically, or it was two people joining together who had basically nothing to survive an evil, awful, boring, terrible life, right? Mm-hmm. That was what marriage was for. And so you became soulmates after living and breathing the same air for 50 years, after raising kids, after joint missions, after surviving the Great Depression and World War II, you became right. soulmates because y'all, you, you, your heart beat as one over time. And suddenly, after 
freaking Jerry Maguire came out. We tried to flip that on his head, and now we're trying to get a soulmate first and reverse engineer a life out of that. And that's simply not how romantic relationships work because that eventually goes away. And right. if you based everything on that in the front, all uh, off clouds and balloons and rainbows and unicorns, then your relationship runs out of gas real fast. If you base it on joint purpose and a decision every single day, I'm going to love that person. Um, and I'm going to lean into what that means every day. And they're going to change and I'm going to change and they're going to grow and I'm going to grow. And this is going to look super different in 10 and 20 and 30 and 50 and 60 years but I'm all in and we're going to share values as we go. A value of curiosity, of commitment, of I will not give up. I don't care what this looks like. I'm not leaving and you're not either. If we share those values, man, you figure out all kind of stuff and you become soulmates along the way. But we just got it out of order, I think. And so we've got a lot of, well, this, this relationship's kind of run its course. Well, yeah, if it was based on smoke and mirrors at the beginning, yeah, you're going to run out of smoke. If it's based on values etched in stone, then that's a totally different proposition, right? Wow. Yeah. That, yeah, because I think people do say that sometimes they'll say, well, this relationship's run its course. Well, is that the truth or are you just bored right now and you don't feel like pressing on? That's Yeah. I'm tired of working on this is what that means. Right. Yeah. Um, or that, or my partner got tired of, of commitment, right? One of those two things, but the entity itself is, doesn't run out of gas if I stop putting it in. Yeah. I love or if that. we stop putting it in, that might be a better way to say it. Yeah. Um, so for the person who's out there listening to this and who is single, who's thinking to themselves like, man, I, I want to put in the gas. I want to do that. I just can't <laughs> find the person. I want to do all the things you're talking about, but I I'm ready to do all those things. I'm ready to like dig my heels into it and, and find my life partner. Um, you know, dating is crazy right now. Um, it's, in, it seems like an insane world. I have lots of single friends. I hear what's going on. I feel like I've got a pretty good ear to the streets in terms of what they're going through and what they're facing. And I also can speak from, from personal experience that it felt extremely hopeless for me for a long time. I was like, you know, it's never going to happen for me. I'm never going to find someone. I'm going to be single forever. I felt like, you know, I think I was 31 when I met my boyfriend and I was like, oh my God, everyone's already taken. I'm a loser. You know, everybody figured it <laughs> out and all the good ones are taken. And I was just like so negative about it. And I can speak to my own experience, how I turned that around. But, you know, what is your advice to those people who are just so, I hate to use the word desperate because that's not the right word, but just so longing for their person and longing for their partner and longing to feel loved and to also give love? Yeah, man, that's such a great question. I, I, where you ended with that question, I think, is the crux of it, is um, we're wired for connection. We're wired for belonging, and mm -hmm. we desire to be desired. And we've looked at that. Yeah, we throw words like, oh, they're desperate, or yeah, absolutely, I'm desperate, right? I'm desperate to be loved. I'm desperate to be connected. I want somebody that is going to link arm in arm with me to take on this crazy world. Like, I want that, right? I think that we have created a world where every encounter, um, from sex with your spouse to a lunch date on a friend date, right? I mean, lunch with a friend that you're dating, right? Or a fishing trip. Or, we've turned every single engagement into the Super Bowl. And we'll go to a party and we'll spend the next two weeks being like, I can't believe I said that. That joke wasn't even funny. I don't know why I said that. Like that person was wearing a mask and I kind of scoffed. I shouldn't have, or I can't, you believe that guy came to the party without a mask. What We just replayed this thing over and over. 
And we've got to lean into every moment isn't the Super Bowl. Every moment, you know what it is? It's practice. And if LeBron James has taken 500 shots before a game, he's going to miss a chunk of them. And it doesn't matter because it's practice. He's practicing and he's practicing. So when you go to a party, you're practicing social engagement. And when I'm married and my wife is doesn't feel good, I'm leaning into the things that I think that she, the clues I've given or the things she's been directing me about, how I can be uh, supportive while she's not feeling good. But I'm still practicing. I don't. It's not the Super Bowl every time. There's a few Super Bowls in our life, and they're very, very rare. So I would tell people, take the pressure off. Take your foot off that gas. That's the surest way to cause a car wreck, man. Um, when you enter into these spaces curious, enter into these spaces without judging the whole situation or propositioning the whole situation or trying to get an outcome, we've turned relationships into ROIs, right? Uh, we call them networking. Like, oh yeah, I need to be around people because I've got a network, bro. That means I'm using you so that I can get some sort of advantage. That is, a, that's, I mean, that's a terrible way to live. Enter spaces and be genuinely curious about being around other people. And if you're not, you're not ready to be married. You're just not. If you're not curious about how other people operate and why they think the way they do, and they can tell you their opinions without you being threatened and you being sent into a rage of a, then you are not ready to hit yourself to somebody else and them to you for the rest of your lives, right? So right. be curious, let the some, some of the air out of that balloon. And man, I've found more often than not, when people enter into spaces and just go to have fun, they end up finding people who are very similar that they wanna spend time with, and then they connect on that avenue. And that's where the beauty happens, man. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love what you said about take the pressure off. Take the pressure off. That's what it was for me. Oh my God. I like I I mean, you heard an ounce of it. Like I was like, I'm not good enough. I'm never gonna find somebody. There's something wrong with me. Like I just put so much pressure on it. Like I've got to find my person. I've got to find my person. And then every single date I went on, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? Like, oh my God, Victoria. <laughs> I, I was like, you've got to chill. That's like, right. And so I think for a big one, for anybody out there listening, I think a really, really big one is to reel it back, take a big deep breath, maybe look at yourself in the mirror and actually like call out all of your amazing attributes. Like, you are incredible. You really, really are. Like, realize like how amazing you are. Tell yourself you're amazing. Remind yourself all of the amazing qualities that you have. And instead of going on those first dates and being like, is this the one? Is this the one? Like, that was my biggest biggest mistake that I did in a lot of my single years is I just looked across the table at every single person and asked if, are they the one? Is this the one? And I tried to make myself, you know, more likable, more approachable, more beautiful, more funny, more, 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 so that this person would love me, like me, want to date me. Well, that's backwards. If you come to the <laughs> equation, knowing your worth, knowing how incredible you are, then really it's like a job interview. Like you're not going there on this date to beg this person to be with you. No, you're going there to get to know this person to actually see if they're a good fit for you. Right. And if you have to wear certain shoes or wear like, I don't ever wear this except on a date, then don't wear it. Right. Like, I, I only do this on this. No, man. When I was working, I was the dean of students at a law school for, for about five years, a little over five years. And one of the things that broke my heart 
is I would we would do the social norming test where we send out these things to all of our students and they'd be like, how much, I mean, how, how sexually active are you? How many, how many drugs have you done in the last 24 hours, last four, you know, last two years? How much do you drink? What do you do when you get stressed? Are you anxious, depressed? That kind of, just who, who are you? The gambit, yeah. Yeah, and the stat that used to break my heart, and I would always bring these, these, these stats up and I would bring all the students into a big theater in, at the school and I would read these off because I wanted them to know because it always invariably 95% of the students thought that 98% of the students were drunk every weekend. And they felt like I have to drink if I'm going out. And in reality, 42% of them were drinking, right? So it was, I just want you all to know you're putting false pressure on yourselves. The one that broke my heart was that 80 something percent of the women in that would take these tests said that they needed a drink or two to feel sexy. And the, the moment that used to silence the crowd is when I would tell them, if you have to drink to put yourself in a position to make somebody else like you, that person is not worth a second of your time, right? You are worthy of more than that, right? And so all that we've built a whole world where I've got to throw my feathers up and guys are the worst dudes showing up in Filson and Carhartt and they don't even know how to work a tractor. What are we doing? Right. So we, we show up with all the stuff like, Hey, look at my peacock feathers, dude. If you will show up and be you, yes, you have to live with, if they don't like you, they don't like you, not some image of you Like they chose to not be with you. And that hurts. And also when you connect, you connect in a way that is very different that you don't have to spend 10 years of your marriage unwinding the posturing that took place the first three years you were dating. Right. Right. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I did that same thing. I guess, I guess this is, I'm realizing a pattern here because <laughs> I realized <laughs> like the friend date that I went on the brunch or whatever, I also did that with my boyfriend. So like we, we had gone out, I don't know, let's say maybe four or five dates or something. And, you know, it was like nights on the town and it was drinking and it was fun. And it was just like, you know, getting to know each other. And, and I think we drank on every, every date. And so I was like, okay, I think I really like this person. I'm going to make myself uncomfortable. I'm going to force myself to do something I don't want to do. And what was that? I was like, I'm going to ask him if he wants to hang out with me during the day, I'm going to get brunch with him and I'm not going to order alcohol. And it was, it was scary. I was scared, but I did it on purpose because I was like, I want to make sure that like when I go, I can go out, you know, to brunch with this person and, and have a great time and enjoy yeah. myself sans alcohol. And I want to make sure that we can have great conversation and that, you know, he actually like sees me for me and understands me. And, and, uh, you know, obviously it, it went really, really well, but that was something that I purposefully did. I'm like, I'm going to go hang, we're going to hang out during the day. We're going to get brunch. And, you know, I, I mean, of course I didn't ask him not to drink alcohol or tell right. him that I just didn't personally order alcohol. But if you're um, having, if you're having brunch at 10 30 AM and it's like, yeah, dude, four beers, then that's a signal too, right? Right. That's a, that's yeah. a good message for everybody. That's a good message. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, putting yourself through, you know, pushing through that, you know, not leaning on your vices, um, to make things comfortable. But I really, really do go back to that point of just for my single ladies out there, you are not going on these, these dates of these men trying to make yourself lovable to them. That should not be your number one goal in, in any scenario. It's really asking yourself, is this person a good fit for you? Ask if this person is a good fit for you. You go into every date, every encounter as loving yourself exactly as you are. And also the number other thing is like, 
we get, we're supposed to get married one time, which means it's only supposed to work out 1% of the time, which means you're going <laughs> to fail 99% of the time. Like it's okay. If you're yeah, going yeah. on a bunch of shitty dates, like it's a law of averages, right? Just keep putting yourself <laughs> out there. Keep like saying yes to yourself and like really just asking yourself, like, is this person a good match for me? Not, am I a good match for this person? Uh-uh. <laughs> you know? So I love that. Um, and then I think also you went into a little bit of not being ready. So how often do we think we're ready and we're not? And does that attract the wrong people? I think that the idea of, man, I don't, I think that ready might be a myth. Um, ready's a choice. Um, it's the same as somebody might tell you, like, I'm not ready for a, a spin class. I need to... Um, I, I probably need to, you know, get more and, and you'd probably stop them and say, everybody's welcome in my class. You might not be ready for the super atomic advanced class full of professional cyclists, but you're welcome here. Right. And so, um, I think ready is a choice and where you fall when you start, whatever that looks like is, yeah, everybody's going to have different. If you go back to the idea of practice, everyone's going to have different skill sets. Some people had really incredible models of a good marriage growing up of parents who were plugged into one another, who loved each other, who honored each other and laughed together and were gross and all romantic all the time and would be like, all right, kids, out of the house because mom and dad are going to rock this thing. Like, like parents who were, um, like, had a good model of what that looks like. And that's millions like something of mil- out of a movie for me. That's not what I had. Well, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So millions like and millions and millions. I saw that on Disney Channel. <laughs> exactly. Um <laughs> But yeah, m- millions of the rest of us had different pictures, right? right. And so you're going to default to what you knew and what you saw, and you're going to have to be willing to do different things. And to do different things, you got to practice to get good at it. And that means I'm going to say something stupid, or I'm going to immediately say something my dad said. I'm going to have to go, hold on, hold on. I take that. I'm stopping myself right there. I'm just, I, my old man used to say that. I'm, done. I'm not going to do that. You tell me how you feel. Right. Or I was wrong on that. Tell me where I'm missing this. Right. It's, it's just vulnerability. It's, it's humility. Mm. It's being honest. And then uh, I'm deciding you're the person I'm going to love for the rest of my life. And you make that decision over and over. It's just not Titanic, man. I wish it was. I love that movie. But I, I, I until Rose murdered Jack on the big door scene. But yeah. I love the movie. But like, it's not real. It's, it's, it's like watching a Pixar movie. It's not real. Right. Mm. So love is a choice that you make every single day. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, just to speak from my own perspective on it, I think in terms of being ready or slash not ready, uh, whether that's a thing or not a thing, right? You're right. It is always practice. So you're never not ready necessarily because you're just practicing and you're going out, right? But I do think you can take a look at the people that you sit across the table from, the people you're going on these dates with. And if the same kind of person keeps showing up, and if the scenario <laughs> ends the same way every You're time, the common denominator. That's right. Then you yeah, kind of think you to yourself, okay, you know, for me, it was like, it wasn't necessarily like I got to do something different because I don't know that I really did much, too much different. Maybe I did. Um, I guess I did. That's a lie. That's a total lie. I just lied. <laughs> I did a lot of things different, but I was able to realize what I needed to do to do differently mm-hmm. to attract different kinds of partners. And I do not know any other word for this person other than fuckboy. But it was 
it was fuckboy after fuckboy after fuckboy, which yeah. means, if for anybody who doesn't know what that means, it just means a non-committal man who yeah. pretends to be emotionally available, who is not looking for a relationship and is completely avoidant. Um, yeah. And that was what I was attracting over and over again. And uh, I was like, okay, what do I need to do differently so that I cannot <laughs> have the same exact man in a different form continue mm. to show up in front of me? Because this shit is not working. It's not yielding the results that I want. And what I kept telling myself over and over and over again is I'm the problem. It's me. Something's wrong with me. They're all perfect. I am messing it up. I'm saying the wrong things. I'm doing the wrong things. I'm wearing the wrong outfits. I'm wrong. I am the thing that is wrong. And Mm. it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't right. Yes. I needed to do different things, but was I doing something wrong? No, I was attracting the wrong partners. And so I did some deep work on, on that. And then, you know, suddenly the people I was sitting across with started to change and I started Mm -hmm. to see people across from me who were men who were ready for something serious in their life. And so I share that always because I know a lot of women feel like every guy, they have, they have, they say this thing, like every guy is exactly the same. They're not, they're, not. they're absolutely yeah. not. No. There are so many men who are vulnerable, who are kind, who are loving, who are in touch with their emotions, who, uh, you know, just want to be a caring partner. There's a lot of yeah. those guys out there. Yep. And I'll say, uh, I'll take back what I said. There is, when it comes to readiness, if you've got a trauma history, if you, um, if something about, um, if you've got some serious physical or mental health challenges that you need to do some hard work, um, if you find yourself, like you just mentioned, repeatedly in the same toxic relationship over and over and over again, I love how you put that. You are the common denominator, right? You are the variable that keeps showing up in the same equation. And I don't want to say fault. I don't want you to live in shame, but I do want you to be curious about what is it that, what is it that I am looking for validation in these people that the same people keep showing up? Curiosity. Um, and oh, where can it. I go seek healing? Right? Where can I go become well so that I can look in the mirror and smile with what I see, right. so that I can lay down at night and go to sleep without replaying the last five conversations over and over and over. So that I can exercise seven days out of the week, except on the day weeks I only do four and I don't beat myself up and I don't hate myself and call myself mm-hmm. a loser when I'm right. It's how do I live a life of kindness and patience and gentleness with myself and my community, right? It's both and. And so there is a readiness there. There's some, there's some extreme examples, but I, I, <laughs> I'll never forget. Um, I dated my wife for five years. And before uh, just dating before we got married. And it was about year four, me and my buddy, my oldest buddy on planet Earth. We were fishing just like two nerds in Houston. And I was a high school teacher. And I don't remember what he was doing. And I said, uh, man, I just like being single. And he looked at me and said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, you're the lamest guy I know. You go, don't go out. It's not like you're dating around. You've had the same girlfriend for four years. Like you, like after concerts, you go to bed. You don't go out for another drink for the rest. Like you're the lamest single guy I've ever met. What are you hiding? Like, what are you waiting for? And I remember leaving that going, oh yeah, I, I am choosing to not be ready. Right. This is dumb. And then I chose to be ready. Right. So that's what like, 
at some point you choose today's the day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to start acting right. And sometimes growing up and acting right means today's the day I'm going to go see a counselor for the first time. Today's the day I'm going to call that person that I hurt and say, I'm sorry. Um, and if you'll have me still be in your life, then um, I'd love to talk about what that looks like for you. Cause I know I hurt you. Sometimes that means I got to do some hard work. I got to cut somebody out of my life. I got to, I got to quit drinking. I got to hang out people in the daytime with no makeup and no booze and see who am I and who are they, right? I got to do some of these hard things and I'm going to choose to keep showing up and choose to keep showing up because I'm worth it, man. I'm absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And how long have you guys been married now? We'll celebrate 20 years this, this, uh, summer forever. Okay. That's We're incredible. old, man. We're old. And Hey, there, we've had a few years where it was a, we're hanging on by a spider's thread, right? Like by, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and as you mentioned, yeah, there's guys who are this and that. And some of those guys are say idiotic things too, right? Some of those guys uh, play fantasy football too or whatever. They play golf for God help them, right? Whatever. And so it's everybody's going to have a mixed bag of stuff. It's can we do that mixed bag together? And will you honor me and value me enough to respect my boundaries and vice versa? And will we do this life thing together? Wow. Incredible. I love that. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your book that's coming out on April 19th, I believe. So I'm a fancy and I got the, the pre-readers copy, right? Here. I don't even have one of those, by the way. Good for you. <laughs> I didn't even know they were out until just a couple days ago. Well, I feel fancy because I got one right here. Yeah, I know. Um, own your past, change your future. The not so complicated approach to relationships, mental health, and wellness. Yeah, Tell us so, about this. This is you're a really incredible guy, by the way. Impressive guy. You've got two PhDs. My assistant wrote me um, a little write up about you before this interview, and she and she wrote because she's uh, in school right now, and um, she wrote he has not one but two PhDs. Wow, poor guy has spent his life in school. Dot, I was dot, say, I don't, have, I don't anyway. have a lot of friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've had way more up. fun. I cracked yeah. up when she wrote that because she gets it. Um, yeah. But anyways, that was adorable. Um, but you said you were a high school teacher. Um, you said something else. I, I can't remember what it was now that you did. Like, I mean, you're an impressive guy. I've been all, over the, I've been all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really um, incredible so, stuff. Well, I Tell us about that. the book. So um, the book's about 10 years in the making. And I... That makes me feel better. I'm trying to write a book and it's uh, going to probably take me 10 that's, years. So. That's exactly right. So God, that, um, thank that, you for saying that. <laughs> It's yeah, it's a it's a long journey, but ultimately it started when back when um, I was working at a university. I graduated with my big fancy PhD. By the way, there is no one on earth more annoying than somebody who just graduated with their graduate degree. They're the worst. They act like they know everything. It's the I was that guy, but I think that's just fine. I don't think we, that's bad. It's I not. Think they should just be that way. I we mean, were, you work so hard for it, but it's kind of like a begin. No, but you can still a, take the trash a, a out. Crossfitter, and, you know. <laughs> yes. if, if oh, you're man. vegan you're going to tell everybody every day that you're vegan you're just going to do That's that right. if you do crossfit you're going to tell everybody every day you do crossfit and if you just got your phd like you know what you, you know really but you know that. what you could just keep it to yourself it's fine but um i man, i was uh um my wife and i she's a researcher too she's way smart we, we were making more money than my granddad knew i had the fancy title at the fancy college and i had two titles and then i had a third title and we had a little kid and I was running around in people's trauma, too. So as the dean of students, I was um, up in the middle of the night. If, if somebody had to call a parent and say, hey, your kid passed away, I usually was the guy making that call, or your kid's in a psych ward, or your kid's um, you know, in jail. Or, uh, so heavy. it was in hospital. It was just hey, yeah, it was heavy. Um, and it was 24-7, 365. And what happened in short order is my body started saying, I'm out. 
and I didn't know what that meant. And so I took that to mean you got to work harder and grind faster and you can just take sleep meds and knock yourself out at night and get up and do it again the next day, but keep grinding and going and going and grinding. And eventually it ended up with me walking across. And again, um, just for your listeners, my dad was a homicide detective. He was a SWAT guy. I ran around with cops in the middle of the night. Like it wasn't a matter of like, oh, it's got to be tougher, bro. It was a matter of my body saying, hey, I'm out. Like, we can't live like this. Burnout. And I didn't know what this was. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was incredible anxiety. My body just started shutting itself down. And um, so I ended up leaving that job. My wife and I took a unfathomable pay cut to go to a new city where I worked with a, at, a, at a different university with a smaller population of students. Um, and I started, I went back to school at the same time too, to get a second PhD in counseling. I had to know, I was so curious, what happened to me? What happened in my community? And this is right when my friends all started getting divorced and their parents were dying and the, the country was falling apart. All of this just, I was like, what is happening here? And ultimately, I think we've landed on two, two propositions for our country. Either you are the worst thing that ever happened to you. You are always a survivor of X or you are always the worst trauma that happened to you, or you're the worst thing you've ever done, right? You can build a thousand bridges, but if you cheated once, you're a cheater. That's all you'll ever be, you scumbag loser. You can never come back. So you're the worst the worst moment of your life. And the, thus, you need somebody to come in and save you. You need a government to come save you. You need a community to come reach and get you because you can't do anything. This is all you'll ever be. And the other opportunity we've been given is you know, forget your feelings. If you have feelings, you have weak character. You're a, you're a, a wimp. You need to suck it up and grind it and kill it and drag it. And if you're not doing that, then you're a loser, right? That's the other option. Right. And I think both of those are killing us. And so this book is really a, a new third way, which is you have to own what happened to you. If you were abused, if you were the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood, if you were treated like your voice didn't matter, if you were a young woman forced to be the peacekeeper in your home, if you were responsible for whether your parents got mad or not as a seven-year-old, you were responsible for the adult emotions in your life, whatever it is. If you've been treated like crap your whole life, if guy after guy, like you mentioned, keeps showing up at the same table, treating you as a piece of property, like you've got to own that. That has happened. And then there's a period at the, end, at the end of that sentence. And now the world is asking us, what are you going to write next? And that's where most of us stop. This happened to me. And so this is who I am. I'm going to make peace with this and I'm going to move forward. I'm not worth that guy. I'm not worth that woman. I'm not worth this promotion. I'm not worth this career. I'm just going to be because this is who my family said we are. Yeah. And the book is about what do you do when you open the curtains up and say, you know what? I'm worth more than that. What do I do next? And that's the second half of the book, which is I'm going to own what comes next. We're going to own together what comes next. Wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Own your past, change your future. This is the third option, the third way that, you know, people aren't talking about, that people are not really diving all the way into that, that needs to be talked about, um, that there's, there are other ways to get to where we're trying to go. And I love that. I'm a big fan of going backwards in order to go forwards. Big, big fan of that. Huge fan of that. So, and I, I do think it's not talked about enough. Um, so I, I, I love that so much. Um, okay. I will uh, ask you one last question, Dr. John Deloney. What is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Because this is the question, how I close out every interview. Uh, I love that so. question. 
my younger self was an idiot, so I'd probably sit down for a while. We'd have a long lunch together. Um, I would tell my younger self to 1,000% calm down. Stop. Slow down. If I had had this job 10 years ago, I would have burned it to the ground already. Um, I was so desperate when I was 26 to be a vice president of whatever college. I didn't have the wisdom to back that up. And I was so unwise, I didn't know that I didn't have that wisdom at 26. Um, I didn't realize that people who make high six figures, they earn that high six figures because the weight of the whole company sits on their soul every night when they sleep, right? I didn't know all that stuff. And I was manic to prove and run around and show everybody how great I was. And I, I would tell my younger self, slow down. You missed a lot of laughter and a lot of fun and a lot of joy and a lot of silliness and a lot of the good stuff of life, flexing and posing and trying to show the world how tough and brave and strong you were instead of actually developing strength and developing bravery and developing toughness, right? It was just, it was just a posture that I would tell myself, chill out, man. You're taking years off your life for no reason. Um, life's hard for everybody, yeah, much harder for others than, than some, but Man, when you can have moments of peace and beauty and laughter, take them, take them, take them, take them. Slow down. The, the money will come. The fame will come. The job will come. The whatever will come. The relationship will come. Slow down. And then I'll also tell myself, be around good people. Be around people who bring the best out of you. Um, I spent a lot of my time around some ding-dongs, and uh, they didn't do me a lot of good, right? So yep. put, put yourself in a position to have people who love you and care for you. Amen. Great answers. Love love those answers so much. Um, all right. Well, it was such an honor and a pleasure to have you on today. You guys, make sure you pick up a copy of his book. And uh, thanks for being on. I appreciate the conversation. Victoria, you are a saint. I'm really grateful for you. Thanks for having me on. And if I pop into one of your, uh, your soul cycle classes, you better bring your A game, sister, because... You Actually, not really. You better bring your your C minus game. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too great. Not too. Great. <laughs> I love it. I'll be in All the right. guy in the back saying slow down. <laughs> but hey, thank you so much. I'm grateful for you. And that is a wrap, you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I knew it was going to be a good one, um, and I and I do think it was a great episode. I really, really do. I enjoyed his conversation so much. And like I said in the beginning of this episode, I love his casual approach to to life. You know, it's very, it's very approachable. It's very like understanding. It's, it's not something that makes you feel like it's completely impossible. And like, you have to change everything about who you are and the way that you think and the way that you show up in, in the world in order to have the life that you want to have. Um, right. Like, I don't know, like, it's just a very like casual approach to all of those things that make it feel like, make you feel like you can make small incremental changes in your life and, and have more impactful relationships, which I think is something that we all want and something that we all need, uh, friendships and romantic partners, uh, both combined. So uh, that is a wrap for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for being here. I know I say it every freaking episode, but like it really does mean the world to me. It really does. Um, I love watching this community grow. I love watching, you know, when you share the stories on Instagram of how the episode impacted you. I absolutely love and adore that and I appreciate it. Uh, this community is growing and it's a really, really cool thing. So thanks for being a part of the VB squad. Make sure you are following us at Very Best Self. Follow 
follow me at Victoria Brown. Um, what else? What else? What else? Oh, also you can follow, uh, Dr. John Deloney on Instagram as well. He is John Deloney at John Deloney on Instagram. And then lastly, we would love your five-star review and, uh, you know, a little review. If you can, if you got a second, you know, just type us a cute little review. All right, you guys have the best day. I will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Love you. Mean it. VB out deuces. Bye.